you have to understand the business and you have to understand how to make impact where more people care about the number. The CFO cares about the bookings number. The sales leader cares about the bookings number. The CEO, the board care about the bookings number. Do not walk into a job and try to run a brand campaign that's probably hard to measure without first making meaningful changes on the demand side because you're going to get fired. Hello and welcome to Confessions of a B2B Marketer. Today we have Kyle Lacey, CMO of Jellyfish, to share the 70-30 rule that is foundational for any B2B marketing leader. Before we get into that, we've got to give a shout out to Fame. If you have a B2B podcast and you want us to look at it and tell you what is going well and what could be improved, click the link below, submit the website to your show, add your email address, and then 48 to 72 hours later, we'll come back to you with that Google Doc that myself or one of my team are going to write. So with that said, let's jump into this episode with Kyle. Kyle, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to see you. So I want to talk about the 70-30 rule, and I'll explain why. Because I think it solves a lot of the problems being faced by the B2B marketer right now. Plus, it's fun. And so my first question what I'd love for you to share is like this thing that I, I think you've created, like what is it and how does it work? And then I'd love to dig into examples of the 70 and then the 30. Yeah, so I would love to say that I created it, but most marketers, if you listen to what I have to say and then go look at your budgets, it's pretty much always 70, 30 or 80, 20, like most things in life, right? So the 70, 30 rule is when budgeting, 70% of your marketing spend, which includes variable and fixed, that also includes software and headcount, should go towards revenue generating activities. So that could be pipeline, could be bookings, however you want to define that. And then 30% of that budget should go towards 10x experiences, brand experiences, like events, direct mail, swag, anything you could think of that will differentiate you to a competitor in terms of experience. So that's how I've always focused the budget and it's something that I've used for the past five years. And do you, is there an order in which you should take this? Because it seems like it's easier to get the sign off to do the wild stuff. When I said the wild stuff, I mean the brand stuff. If you are hitting the number. Right. So that's exactly right. Like you make it work. Yeah, you've got to spend the 70% correctly in order to be able to make some of the bets. I learned this the hard way, and I'm sure that any marketing leader in a venture-backed startup can, is probably nodding their head in agreement right now as I say this, but marketing only has a seat at the table if you're helping produce pipeline or revenue. I mean, you could talk all day long about corporate communications and PR and major events, but if you're not, if you don't own a, a bookings line or a pipeline line, you're insignificant in my opinion. And what do you, out of those two, should it be one of those two, pipeline or revenue, booked revenue? And if yes, what are your preferences between the two? And right now, Jellyfish, are you being, is your 70% going towards either of them? I think it depends on sales cycle. And lessonly, most of our deals were under, were probably, let's average them out there between 45 and 60 day sales cycle. You could define those as a high velocity sale. We were judged on bookings. We were judged on revenue because half the deals closed in quarter. 
Jellyfish is more upmarket. We're moving more into the enterprise world. So pipeline coverage is a, I wouldn't say, I mean, it's definitely not more important than revenue, but it's something we focus on more often. And that includes funnel conversion for the pipeline and how much pipeline is leaving the funnel at a given time, how much are we adding week over week. It's just something we're focused more on right now. So step one for anyone that is looking to embark upon using the 70-30 rule is to get one of these metrics because I reckon a chunk of marketers listening maybe are not being judged upon either of those metrics, right? Yeah, I'm assuming so. I've heard a lot of it. I just, and I have been that marketer. It's just so difficult to get the things that you need to do the job correctly, like headcount, like budget, like ownership of ideas, if you're not helping the bottom line of the business, because it is a business. We're not, we don't, at least in my world, I'm not working for a charity, right? This is a business that, and we are built to make money and we're built to sell a product. And it's important that the marketing team helps support that. So we go to the CEO and CFO and we're like, give me a pipeline number, give me a budget, and then let's roll. So I think we'll, if possible, we'll save the memorable experiences like the brand, the 30%. We'll do that later in the episode because that's like, and I know I've been listening to some of your podcast interviews before. You've got some great examples there. So before that, I'd love to just talk through examples of where you've taken the 70% and have used that to hit this pipeline or bookings number. And it doesn't have to be a jellyfish. It can be any of your previous experiences. It'd be awesome to have examples. First off, you're the one, marketing leader, you should be the one presenting a pipeline number. You're not given a pipeline number. Marketing and sales should own the pipeline number with support from finance and not the other way around, in my opinion. Got it. You're in a partnership with finance, but you should be the one helping set that number, not taking it and and not questioning it, right? Got it. Yeah. Just to, it's something that, I don't know. It's, I'm trying not to get up on a soapbox because this is stuff I just love to talk about in general because marketing leaders don't have a great tenure in venture back software, right? I think average tenure right now is 16 months, which is crazy, especially. So this is why I like talking about this to support our marketing peers in order to make the most of their careers. Do you think that tenure on average, maybe you have this data is longer or shorter than the sales lead? I'm pretty sure. Now, I could follow up with you after this. I think it's fairly similar, but I think sales is longer. Really? I think marketing actually, I think this past year, Pavilion runs a survey. I don't know if it's every six months or every year where they kind of, they try to think through the tenures and doc benchmark the tenures. And I think CMOs surpass sales in terms of more likely to be fired. <laughs> <laughs> It's kind of a depressing topic. <laughs> For sure. I always thought it was sales. I had a podcast idea. I pitched to a client sold sales software called the Endangered Executive. And we're just going to bring on sales leaders that have got fired early and talk about that. So now maybe I should do this. I should replace confessions of a B2B marketer with the Endangered Executive. You should do both. I have a great marketing leader. She's a consultant now. That would be a brilliant guest because what she does is she talks to CEOs about how to better understand marketing so they don't go through the process of firing somebody every nine months. There's a lot we could get. I mean, it's a little bit of a depressing topic in general. So moving back to your original question on the 70%, at Lessonly, it was very much invested in organic search, content production. We had out of our inbound revenue, 
a good 50-60% of it was driven by organic search for a long time. We had the foundation of organic search, and I believe every company should try to build that because there's tools like DemandWell as an example. That's a great software that helps you do that at scale now. You don't have to hire a bunch of people to try to figure it out. So organic search. And then at Lessonly, we our BDR teams were successful, and they reported into marketing. Nice. So with that, that was part of your 70%. Yeah. You've got it adjusted a little bit, but there's a process of going in and applying headcount percentages. So the BDR headcount percentage went 100% to the 70%. But our designers, as an example, 50% went to revenue, 50% went to brand because they were doing both. You got to kind of build a model out. But the 70% is basically experimentation and making sure that you're building the right channels, paid, organic, outbound efforts if you have the ability to influence that. And then events and direct mail and all those went into the brand. We had some demand webinars that were in the 70%, but most of the events and and direct mail and stuff going to the 30. So let's, we'll get to the 30 later for sure. Just super like high level to give an example for Lessonly, like A, what are the tools do for people that didn't know? And then B, like a keyword that you guys were hitting that was converting, if you're happy to share. Yeah, we sales training, sales enablement, sales readiness. We made a quick pivot into sales and customer service instead of HR at Lessonly, which led to our acquisition by Seismic. Or it got pretty tactical where it's like the 10 lessons to learn when scaling a sales team with enablement. You know, our top, I can't remember at Lessonly, our top performing piece, to be honest with you. But I mean, for a while, our top performing piece from just a traffic perspective was interview questions, <laughs> like HR interview questions, which, nice. which was pretty deep in the, I wouldn't say that it led to many major deals, but in terms of just driving traffic, it was quality. But we had a lot of organic search and then we moved just more into ABM efforts as we moved up markets. Same thing applies to Jellyfish. How do you get more personalized? But always keeping in that idea that you're setting aside some money in that 70% on a quarterly basis to experiment. I think adolescently set aside, it's very much dependent on the budget size, but we were setting aside between 10,000 and 50,000 a quarter just for experimentation. So it could be, you could throw in A-B testing on the website using Hotjar, you could do now, I would say using mutiny for personalization of content on the website, testing AI content. We would do testing a bunch of different ad creative, a bunch of different things you could group in there. I think that's an important insight. Like the 70% isn't just being thrown into stuff that is either or even working. It's we need to invest some of that into making the 70% spend more effective. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Cool. And would you say the mix of 70% spend for Jellyfish is similar to what it was at Lessonly? Yeah, I'd say that it will range. It depends on the quarter, but it will range between 70 and 80%. So I'd say that if you're guiding the team or you're trying to set this up yourself as a marketing leader, just kind of throw the dart between 70 and 80%. Got it. And it's never simple and it's never easy and it's never perfect, but that's kind of a good guideline. Just a reminder to people listening. If you're, say, coming in as a new marketing leader and you understand the 70-30 rule, you've got your, you're being mentioned on pipeline slash revenue, it's probably good to start getting the 70% working first. 
than to embark upon a big brand campaign. Yes. To prove yourself. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's clear. I just wanted to remind the audience. Yeah. So let's move now to the 30%. And I would love to know just a couple of examples of how you have effectively spent the 30% to increase brand awareness slash experience. Yeah, I've been very lucky that I've been able to work with extremely creative people. And at Lessonly, we had a couple examples and things that I've actually repeated multiple times. The first is launch some type of swag marketplace or cloth. We launched an actual clothing line. We launched Ali Lama and Co. at Lessonly. We launched Aftershock at Seismic. And we'll launch one at Jellyfish too. You can do it through vendor like Postal or you can do it through a Shopify store. If you have, we have a vendor in Indianapolis named Screenbroidery that does on-demand printing. So it's fairly easy to set up a Shopify store and they support the customer service side, which is great. So they do all the fulfillment and you just basically have a store. And what's interesting about that is that you don't, there's not a lot of cost up front and you can give gift cards to sales to use as incentives or thank yous, right? You can say, hey, send them a $30 gift card to Ali Lama and Co. And they can go pick out whatever they want. So you don't have to deal with the address. You don't have to deal with the sizes, but just make sure that it's quality merchandise and your designer and you have a very creative desire. Like I nobody wants to go to a site to just buy your logo on the front of a t-shirt. And I understand that I'm wearing one right now, but this is not representative of what <laughs> you can't, people can't see it anyway if you're listening. Do we have the core brand on this clothing line or is it a completely different brand? No, it's not related. Really different. There was also less than lean seismic gear that you could buy. And we used it as an internal employee portal as well. So employees could go buy their swag instead of us just giving them things and they can deal with the returns and the sizes and all that stuff. So first one, fairly takes a little bit of creative and money, but launching some type of swag apparel line that people can go use on their own. Second thing is just get really creative with direct mail. I'm a huge proponent of it. I've used it in every company I've been in. At Lessonly, we designed a board game that we sent out to we designed three different ones, one for sales, one for customer service leaders, and one that was just all encompassing. So it was persona-based board game. We had a golden llama campaign where we set, I would gather it's probably close to 10,000 golden llamas out to people where they could give it to their employees because golden llama was part of our culture. Lessonly, it was kind of a value add. 10,000. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not. And I just to be clear, this is not a perfect model, but just try to get a little bit more creative. Like don't send another t-shirt. Like just think a little bit more proactively about how to create a great experience for the customer because they get Yetis and socks and t-shirts and like don't send a bathrobe. Just think a little bit more. Spend an hour longer brainstorming than just going to a swag provider saying, hey, can you make a t-shirt for us? So that's the second thing, direct mail. And then the third is up-level your event experiences. We had a rule at Lessonly, and the same rule applies if you try to at Jellyfish and at Seismic, was you need at least 50% of a dinner to be customers. And you aren't presenting content at a dinner. Your VP of sales is not allowed to get up and talk for 30 minutes because your best salespeople are in the room and they're your customers. 
You don't need content if the dinner is curated appropriately. And I think we're in a special world now where experiences are easier to find because of COVID. You could do the virtual experiences. You could find marketplaces that have whiskey tasting, wine tasting, and painting, and all this stuff, right? But I think it's like taking it one, taking all these things, these brand experiences one step farther and pushing your team or yourself to say, what's the elements I can incorporate into this thing that set it apart? Branded napkins at the dinner, right? Like lighting is important in a room. The food is important. Like all that is, most people don't think about it. And the people that do make memorable experiences, whether that's through the mail or in person at a restaurant. If executed correctly, does the 30% or have you seen the 30% lead to an uplift in the 70%? Yeah, I would love to say that I have the perfect attribution model to show that the 30% led to an uptick. I'm not going to lie to you. It's very, very difficult to track that. But rising tide lifts all ships. And if you do a good job driving bookings and revenue in a way that's meaningful, the other 30% is more just making sure that you are impacting the market in a creative way, right? Like the book, I've been in both situations, so I feel like I can say this. If you're hitting your revenue and bo- your pipeline and bookings numbers in a meaningful way, the board or your boss is not going to be asking about the event spend. As long as you're not over, like don't overspend, make sure you're in budget. It's very important that you stay in budget as a marketer. But that's just something that I always try to keep in front of my mind is that you can do board games, you can do cool direct mail, you can do events that are meaningful if you are making meaningful progress on your pipeline of revenue numbers as a marketer and you own it with sales. It's not sales bag to hold. You should be holding it with them. Got it. The 30% also seems like it's the stuff that internally, whether it's a CEO or other people in the team, just love as well. Yeah. It makes you popular. Yeah. So I, some of the stuff that I say on podcasts, I'm hoping that my CEO doesn't necessarily listen to, but you can say, he probably will, but you can say, hey, track this, track this spend to the dollar that it's generating. And that's great. But there's nothing better than a forwarded email from a board member or text from peers saying, I saw this, it was great, or I attended this event and it was meaningful, or I heard about this. So think about all of the feedback that your the board members and your exec team are getting with great experiences. And that is also meaningful, but you don't want to track it. Then you're just losing the beauty of marketing where it's like, it's surprise and delight. It's not track, 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 robotic marketing. Make sure you drive as much revenue as possible. Like, And so when you give your teams the bandwidth to think more creatively, they're more innovative and they're happier. If I asked my marketing team to make sure that we're tracking every single message that our CEO got that was either negative or positive at an event he attended, it would be terrible, like terrible. So there's just some stuff that you got to let go and make sure that you are driving the best experience possible. And I think it works out in the end, honestly. And there's a lot of revenue marketers and demand marketers that definitely do not agree with me on that point. But 
I, there's got to be some part of this that's more that's fun and not just like let's make sure we're in a Google sheet with attribution modeling. It also seems to me that we're like honing in on the ability to extend the CMO's tenure, right? Because the CEO is like judging your performance, and there's like the quantity of stuff. Are we hitting those numbers? But then there's also the emotional part to the performance evaluation where the CEO is like, is this person? Do they love our brand? Are they pushing our brand forward? Am I popular in my CA mastermind because we are sending yeah. great golden llamas out? Absolutely. Absolutely. This is how we solve the problem of the 60-month average tenure. Yeah, I think it's part of it. I think you have to understand the business and you have to understand how to make impact where more people care about the number. The CFO cares about the bookings number. The sales leader cares about the bookings number. The CEO and the board care about the bookings number. Do not walk into a job and try to run a brand campaign that's probably hard to measure without first making meaningful changes on the demand side, because you're going to get fired more than likely. And sometimes you don't have control over it either way. But in the first 30 days, you should have made meaningful adjustments or changes or introduced something new to the demand gen side of marketing, not hire a PR firm. I have nothing against PR firms, but waste of time. <laughs> That's a whole, I could probably, I could talk for an hour on that, but it's, don't go in and build a corporate communications plan, especially if you're a venture back startup that's like series A, B or C. So aside from the clothing line, you're going to start for Jellyfish. Is there anything else exciting coming down the pipe for the 30%? I mean, we've got Ocean Engineers, Jellyfish Lego line. We have our first model. That's a Lego set that we built internally with a vendor. Like official Lego, like branded by Lego. Well, not branded Lego. They are Legos, but we built it and sourced all the pieces. And it's an ocean engineer themed jellyfish sets that we're going to release every year. So the first one's going to come out this year. We'll probably throw around a board game at some point. There's definitely podcasts. There's definitely more content that we will do that's a little bit more than just the blog post or ebook. You know, it's this whole. I learned early on that building audience is important to what we do as marketers. And there's ways to do that now that are creative and meaningful and fun. We'll be focusing on that as well. There we go, team. That's the actionable takeaway. This is what I'm going to call the episode. Go build a Lego, release annual Lego <laughs> kits. That's going to solve all your problems. But make sure you get revenue. Then go build the Lego, the Lego set. <laughs> Kyle, that was awesome. Thank you. I do actually think we joke, but this does seem absolutely foundational for any marketing leader joining a company, the 70-30 rule. Obviously, we're going to link to your LinkedIn profile. We're going to link to Lessonly. We're going to link to Jellyfish. And you actually listed a whole load of tools we also linked to. Is there anywhere else we should send people? Uh, most of my time spent on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter too. You could search me on Twitter, but jellyfish.co and Kyle Lacey on LinkedIn. Amazing. We'll send people there. Kyle, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. All right, team. What do we think? Kyle loved it. Very relaxed. Just talking as if he would be talking with a friend. Great episode. The 7030 rule, I highly recommend using that as a framework to guide your marketing spend. And ideally, you will be staying longer in the role than the average of 16 months. So let's first give a shout out to Danitza who said insightful exclamation mark a ton of value keep rocking thank you so much that's coming from Bulgaria 
If you have any feedback on the show, please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Send me a screenshot and I'll give you and your business a shout out in the show. Obviously, thanks for Carl for coming on. Thanks to fame.so. Link will be in the show notes for producing the show. We start and grow podcasts for B2B brands. And of course, thanks to you for listening.